Welcome back to Thoughts from the Tinkerage. It's been a bit of a gap, and the content of this episode will explain that gap. Uh, It's probably something like six weeks since the last episode, uh, which was episode 24, if I remember, so this should be episode 25. Might be 26. I think it's 25. Uh, Why the gap? Well... As anyone in the world hopefully knows, there's a worldwide pandemic at the moment. And I have mentioned that briefly in the past. But that pandemic came a bit closer to home in the second week of December. And our household of four, excluding the dog, um, over this course of 10, 12 days, all contracted COVID-19. And as you can imagine, that's, that's a rather, rather rubbish way to do December. Um, yeah, it's, it's a rubbish way to do any month. My wife is a teacher. And it's it's very likely that she picked it up at school. Now, in the UK, in late December, the majority of the schools actually closed. The school she worked at closed a little bit earlier than the rest. Uh, They had significant numbers of staff out, either self-isolating because of close contact or self-isolating because of actually having COVID-19. The, it took the government quite a long time to realise that when you have schools of children, that A, children won't keep in their bubbles. They can't when they're potentially having to travel by bus. That's the car just settling down. The... Classes, particularly with older children, where they're not in kept in form groups and they have to swap over because of options, uh, that means they're, they're mixing. So potentially hundreds of families, it's not just about children, it's about families, it's about who they're coming from, with what, and going to. Schools have always been hotbeds of illness. You go to any school in the late autumn term, the early spring terms, and there will be dozens and dozens of kids off with the cold or flu-like symptoms. If food poisoning hits a school, or you know, kind of one of those diarrhea and vomiting bugs, it goes through schools like wildfire. Coronavirus is going to be no different. So although my wife is very careful, wearing a mask and sanitization, I think the, the, the health service is seeing just that continued exposure, if you're continuously bombarded. It's, it's almost the way that kind of the intelligence services say, you know, in regard to attack, espionage or terrorist attack, they have to get it right every time. You know, a terrorist, a spy only has to be lucky once. The virus takes the same approach. Well, it's not an approach, it's, it's not a living thing, it's just... Yeah, it's constantly bombarding. If you're bombarded enough, 
the chances of infection are higher. And of course, you're infectious before you're symptomatic. So it was no surprise that the rest of us in the house uh, also acquired the coronavirus. I was quite worried about actually getting it. I have a, a history of chest infections, some of which have been quite nasty. I have, as I've mentioned before, a bit of an issue with my heart. And yeah, I, I was very worried. I had a couple of days, uh, kind of about the 22nd, 21st, 22nd, something like that, two or three days where I was very, very ill. Uh, and, and to be honest, very scared. Yeah, difficulty with breathing, uh, fatigue. Different flu. I've had flu, and when I had flu, I, I basically slept it off, and I was very exhausted, couldn't do anything, couldn't get out of bed, really. And it was was kind of so exhausted, you just kind of didn't think about it, just literally just slept. Coronavirus couldn't do that. I think with increased difficulty with breathing, I think also with kind of my medical history, I was, I was much more concerned. Uh, I know my wife was concerned uh, from her part to me. The I tried to follow all the kind of the the guidelines. I'd already spent plenty of time reading, getting to know kind of what what was before before we were being infected. Uh, vitamin D, I was taking vitamin D, I was taking vitamin C, and other vitamins, trying to eat as well as, as possible, trying to drink as much as possible, I was drinking pints and pints. And apart from the sort of two, two and a half days where I just could not move, I, I just did not, did not have the energy, did not have the, the will to move. But apart from those, after after that, I I kind of I forced myself to move, to to move around as much as possible, to get my lungs working, uh, to take kind of deep breaths, stomach breathing rather than chest, yeah, high chest breathing, so trying to use the diaphragm as much as possible. I I lost my voice. That was, that was another reason why I couldn't record. I I almost entirely lost my voice. It's still croaky. I can still feel it. I still have a sore throat. Um, yeah, recording this twenty-first uh, of January. I still have symptoms. I, I get out of breath much quicker than I was before. I am more fatigued. I get a little bit more of kind of brain fog, kind of not focusing on things properly. Uh, I was getting that before anyway, but just getting yeah, just a little bit more. It's hard to know whether it's just down to kind of me or whether it it was it's the after effects of the COVID. Still got a sore throat, 
um, glands in my throat still kind of up and down a little bit. Some days they're up, sometimes they're not. I, I still get a, a, a intermittent productive cough. My kids, they, it, it was mild. They're young, they're very fit. They had a, a mild case. Uh, but my wife got hit a lot more seriously. I think the increased viral load, the exhaustion of being a teacher, particularly in the, 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 the winter term, it's, I think it's one of those things, unless you are a teacher or a partner of a teacher, you may not understand just how kind of exhausting that autumn term is because the, the night's drawing, everyone gets more tired. There's more and more bugs about anyway. Add to that the the extra stress of trying to work in, in a pandemic, the extra procedures, the extra movement for the teachers, the, the, the students in a lot of schools are being kept in the same room, so not moving too much. And the teachers are tend to move into them. So that adds a kind of extra level of stress. So she got hit much harder. First week wasn't too bad. After she was tested, sore throat gave her kind of a clue that she might have it. She got tested, she was positive. First week wasn't too bad. Kind of hoping that things were going to be okay. But she went downhill massively in the second week. Uh, by the week before Christmas, she was very poorly. Uh, she was pretty much confined to bed. And got to a point in the day before Christmas Eve, so the 23rd of December, we had to call the, what I call 411, which is the NHS helpline. Uh, so it's kind of a not full-blown emergency but if you need you can't get an appointment with your doctor and you need to speak to somebody quicker then so you don't need to go to hospital but it's a, it's a way of getting i think it was designed to get pressure off the emergency departments you know people would turn up with a sore throat because it you know it's getting a bit worse and they were panicking rather than waiting to see their doctor and i called 111 and spoke with the doctor uh, you kind of you, you leave your details and then they they, they ring back. You triage, obviously, more urgent cases. The initial contact will kind of determine whether it's actually an emergency ambulance that you're calling for, rather than waiting for one one one. I spoke with the doctor, and the doctor was concerned about the symptoms, and we had a I bought a pulse oximeter by then for her, and we she the, the doctor sent. Then sent an ambulance to do an assessment, a paramedic, and they actually took it to hospital for, turned out, kind of a, a long evening, uh, early evening, sort of five-ish when she went, and I picked her up back up from the hospital about one o'clock in the morning, and they kind of gave her some treatments, steroids, they'd assessed her and felt that uh, she wasn't bad enough to stay in hospital and could go home. And yeah, hospitals aren't restful places, and obviously there is 
COVID in them. Uh, so, yeah, she, she came home and the Christmas wasn't the, the usual Christmas. It was We knew it was going to be quiet anyway because of the pandemic, not being able to go and see people as we normally would do. But it was it was so much quieter still. We, we, we hardly did anything. Uh, the medicine that she was given, a steroid, just become kind of one of those common sort of treatments. Maybe it didn't help. Well, not say it didn't help, but it may have helped. But it, for her, wasn't enough, and. So after Christmas, on the kind of Tuesday after the bank holiday in the UK, so the Monday, because Boxing Day fell on Saturday, the Monday was a bank holiday, so our GP didn't open until Tuesday. And I spoke with our GP on Tuesday, uh, gave her symptoms and how she was doing, which basically was not well. Doctor basically turned around, turned and said, "I don't know if he turned actually. He was on the phone, so I don't know if he actually turned." But he basically said, "Yeah, put the phone down. Call nine nine nine. She needs to go into hospital. She needs oxygen." And she did. She had to go into hospital. She was there until the evening of New Year's Day. Uh, she came out after oxygen therapy. Doing much better. She having had. IV antibiotics, more steroids, uh, and she had COVID pneumonia. Train whizzing past. It's going to take time for her to recover. She is recovering. She's recovering well, I would say. It's going to be slow. It's not quick. Obviously, there's concerns with COVID. People are recovering in different ways. Some quite quickly, some are relapsing. And that's something I dreadfully want to avoid for her. The kind of one of the things I want to kind of sort of mention. Uh, to see your, your, your wife, your, your partner been taken off in an ambulance, actually twice. Not being able to go with them, because that's, that's the policy in this pandemic. But ultimately not known if you're ever going to see them again. It's... I, I, I just can't describe how that feels. If I attempt to describe how it feels, it's I'm gonna break down. Like it's I think for me it's it really hit hard. It, it, this January is the 35th anniversary of my mother going into hospital and dying. She went off in an ambulance. I never got to say goodbye because I was in school when it happened. 
it wasn't in school. It was a. I'd gone to school. There'd been a massive snow, and I'd, I'd gone to my grandmother's and stayed the night with my grandmother rather than going home. And it happened that evening. I never got to say goodbye to her. I kind of, kind of yeah. January sucks. It's also the, the 19th, close to the 19th anniversary of my uh, father dying. It's... I, I don't know why I'm saying, I don't know why I'm telling you, you, you folks this. I, I'm not looking for sympathy. I think what I'd like people to, to do is to appreciate the things that you've got. Go and give your partner a hug. Put in, put in, put in place things like... I, so as when I was on you know, the two days when I was really sick, I, I actually... Composed in my head, but it didn't write down because I just didn't have the energy to write. Letters to my kids saying goodbye. I'm worn out at the moment from kind of looking after, obviously, well, having had COVID, also looking after my wife. It's yeah, it's a full time, full time job. Um, yeah, it's. Gives me a great appreciation for the people who do permanently look after a loved one. It's hard work. I knew that. I kind of I knew that already. My father had been disabled when when I was a kid. I knew I knew what that was like. But think about start thinking about what's important. I'm starting to think about a little bit more about what's important, what's important in life. My phone's been playing up. I haven't been able to get on Instagram for, well, since, actually since I was ill, so six weeks. And I'm, I'm that kind of, it's annoying. I am posted, I'm, I can just about manage to post through the, the browser app on my phone, but it doesn't give me the... I can't edit photos in the same way. I can't do a bunch of things, but... I'm, I'm trying not to worry about it. It doesn't matter. Think about what's important. If you think COVID's a, a, a myth or a hoax or just an exaggeration, educate yourself. It's not. If you look at the kind of overall percentages, the number of people dying, the numbers, the percentages look make it look quite small. And oh yes, it's mostly vulnerable people. But you're going to choose your grandmother to be the one that dies. Got quite angry actually over the way some people have been about COVID. It's a real thing, and it's messing people up. It is really messing people up. It's messing families up. It's messing people up, potentially permanently, young people. And yes, the initial waves were mostly kind of older and very vulnerable people. 
And certainly in the UK, we've done a lot to try and protect those. But now it's younger people that are getting hit. People in their 20s and 30s. Do the right thing, wear masks, socially distance. Yeah, it's a pain. Stop complaining about not being able to go on holiday. Stop complaining about stuff. Stay safe, stay alive. Think about what's important. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. I, I, there's more I want to say. I might add to it later. For now, I need to take a break. Okay, part two. It's uh, it's a week later. Now it's twenty eighth of January today. When I'm recording this. Uh, I've reviewed last the, the first part, and I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to edit it much, really. It's, the oh yeah, COVID, you know, every single way is just a sack of proverbial, isn't it? It's it's messing up people's health. It's messing up people's mental health. There's certainly a lot of argument and discussion about whether governments, UK government, other governments have handled it correctly and. I'd certainly suggest that there's many ways in which the British government should have handled it differently. Um, we've even recently had Home Secretary Peter Patel say that they, uh, they should have locked down the country harder last March. That's obvious to most people with any amount of common sense. Uh, I certainly hope that in a few years' time that there's some sort of investigation into some of the essentially payoffs that have been happening for things like PPE that never appeared. Uh, it's certainly there's a, I think, a criminal element within government, civil service, procurement. Uh, and I hope at some point they that comes to light and maybe some of that is recouped. But that, that's, that's another argument. And economics isn't really my thing. I... I I know this is economically difficult. I think there are things that can be done to help it. I don't think opening pubs and restaurants, as much as I'd like to go to a pub or restaurant right now, is particularly helpful, given the current situation. I think normal is going to change, and people need to accept that. There is going to be a new normal. Coronavirus isn't going to disappear. The current vaccines... Their, their job is to make it, you know, if you get the coronavirus, to make it not as bad. That's essentially how they're functioning. It's it's giving your body a, a head start in, in combating the virus when you get it. I think there's going to be changes to infrastructure. I think there's going to be changes to everyday life in how we do things. And there has to be, because this is going to be something that's going to be with us for a long time. And we need to put in place things to to stop that from impacting as many people as possible. I know from talking with friends who work in the health service in the UK, I know from our own experience of hospital um, that the NHS is under great strain. And that's without doing many of their routine routine work. Excuse the, excuse the noise, there's a, a guy about 
five meters from me doing some scaffold. Dismantling, I think. Nope, tightening up. He's fixing some scaffolding. The I think there's a great emphasis by many, particularly on social media, looking at just the, at the mortality, and I think it misses some of the, the, the larger impact, the long COVID, the, the effect that it's having on people's life for time afterwards, the, the physical effects. Yeah, I think even if my spine would allow me to go running, I don't think my lungs would allow me to go running at the moment. The mental effects. Anxiety that people have, the always the fear, the fear of going out and mixing with people might be carrying the virus, particularly when you see people who are not following some of the basic guidelines. Yeah, masks over their chins, noses sticking out, not bothering with the mask at all. The people who fake having some medical things, they go, Oh, I can't do this. And, can't wear a mask because I've got this thing that if I say people will go, oh, that's okay, you don't have to, just because they don't want to be bothered. Okay, I'm going to stay clear from that part of the conversation there because people like that are making me quite angry. And I don't need that right now. The, I think there's going to be a lot learnt over the next few years about the, kind of the longer term effects on people. You know, we're seeing young people who are getting COVID and then experiencing organ failure. We're seeing young people who are uh, having their cognitive abilities affected. I know part of my cognitive abilities have been affected. I'm a brain fog as it is because of the pain that I deal with on a daily basis, but it's been a lot worse. Uh, I've spoken to a number of people who have mentioned, and I've seen this with people who've had it, who mention about losing memory. And it does come back. Yeah, okay. The first time my wife made her own breakfast, she has boiled eggs, she had to ask me how long to boil the eggs for. Uh, she mentioned about people in hospital not being able to remember their middle name. And in fact, she couldn't remember hers when she was in there. It's it will be interesting to see from a kind of medical study point of view how how things pan out in the long term. This is a unique virus. I think we have to accept that unless there is some significant advancement in essentially an, an immunization process that will stop people from getting coronavirus, that it will continue to exist and we have to learn to live with it. I think we will see perhaps some changes in technology. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. There's a material beginning with M, sometimes used in things like chopping boards that is naturally antibacterial. And woods are often antibacterial. Will we see similar advancements for things which are antiviral? 
it'll be interesting to see how things do pan out. I hope... I'd like to say that I hope that we can see maybe a change back to a time when people base discussion and argument on scientific fact rather than opinion or based on Facebook University. Yeah, there's, I mean, we've all seen the kind of, yeah, there's the whole false news narrative, but there's the there's the anti-science narrative. There's the the people who have a either an axe to grind or perhaps want to claim fame or find money or power in some way by putting forward theories which are frankly nonsense. Not really one for censoring, but. I think when people spew junk, however scientific sounding it is, I really think they should be held accountable. I think that may be, that may be something for another discussion. It's interesting when you, if you read kind of some, some of the materials that have been available over the few years, quite a few years now, many people kind of predicted that something like this would happen. Not necessarily that it would be this particular coronavirus, or that it would be a coronavirus, but just that there would be some sort of pandemic event. And quite often we, we humans, we don't like change. Yeah, yeah, change is inevitable. I think I may have talked about this in the past. We certainly don't like change that's thrust upon us, and we don't like change that has negative connotations like death and yeah, not being able to do the things that we want to do. Yeah, just chatting on a social media this morning with a few people, and yeah, just being able to. People from across the world, yeah, 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 being able to meet up. Makers Central in the UK announced a few days ago that the May event is is not going to be happening, and they pushed the date forward to the seventh and eighth of August. I think many people doubt that that will happen as well. It's still a long way to go, and large events like that, whether even. The NEC, which is currently at Nightingale Hospital, will be available in August. This is another matter. Yeah, desperately would like to meet up with some of my mate friends and uh, family and other friends, but uh, I think it's. I, I think sometimes we we have to find peace with situations. So, a family we, we were talking this morning about. Would really like to go down to. We're, we're quite central in the, in the county we're at, and there's kind of coastal on east coast and slightly to the north and, and to the south, and we're, we're roughly equal dis, equidistant to, to both. Our kind of our, our quickest 
bit of beach. There's a chip shop that we like that serves gluten-free uh, battered fish, which not many places do. And they do that every day, so it's, it's quite nice that you can actually go down any day of the week. And um, we haven't been there for, for many months. Uh, I think sometime in September when there was no lockdowns not on. And we, we sit at the, at the front and the weather's bad. We sit in the car trying to stop the dog from eating the fish and chips. And it's something we really want to do, but we don't know when it's going to happen. So we make do with oven chips and gluten-free battered chip, uh, fish from uh, more breaded, actually. I think maybe breaded from bird's eye, which is, yeah, it's not the same. But, it, yeah, it's our way of just being at peace with it. And we know that at some point yeah, things will open up again and we will be able to go down. That will happen. I think there's too many people that are struggling to find peace in, in the situation. I think it's something that I would hope and pray that people do find ways of finding peace. Uh, maybe finding social media that doesn't cause angst and disruption. Yeah. And there are there are ways of doing that. There are groups. There, there, yeah, I think Facebook is great at generating oh. angst and gets people angry and gets people stirred up and going, this isn't right and why should this happen? I, I sometimes think I should write to a few people and they see them kind of going on about something and say, well, don't write it here, write to your MP, write to your councillors. Yeah, this, isn't, this isn't a medium that's going to change anything. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've muted a few people. I've unfriended a few people. Uh, certainly, it's it's interesting to see actually how somebody once said this to me. So it, it, it's interesting how in in very stressful situations, and they were referring to things like uh, kind of almost like emergency situations, you know, the, yeah, mountain rescue or uh, a casualty incident. And I think you would say the same for maybe things like war, conflict. When you have these super stressful situations of which you have no control, it's interesting to see how people respond. And I don't think it's like many things, and I, I say this often, it's, there's no easy thing to this, no easy answer. It's, you know, somebody who may be very good in a very stressful situation of a car accident, very switched on, maybe they've had the right training, maybe not good at responding to fake political news or fake UK, uh, I don't get the right word, but fake medical information or the headlines that sort of suggests that, oh look, there's this bunch of people not wearing masks and it's it's there for it may be a picture that's taken out of context. It may be just that it's somebody's decided story. It may not even be up to date. You know, there, there is fake news. We've seen that. You know, we saw that at Brexit, where Nigel Farage put up a uh, had a I think it's Nigel Farage and 
the post are showing refugees struggling to get into the UK and it turned out it had been taken many years earlier and it was nothing to do with the UK and they weren't actually refugees at all or they weren't refugees from a political nature it was from a natural disaster it was just fake and people will do that for their own purpose whether it's to gain followers to sell a product to become more powerful that's something that I think is clearly obvious in the Things like the flat earth community where people will know full well that their, their, their take on science is fake, but it brings them fame and YouTube fortunes and therefore they're going to keep pushing forward their own narrative in order to keep that going. Uh, as humans, it's interesting, as humans we are sometimes the cruelest of creatures to each other. But what's most amazing that particularly at times of difficulty like this, we can be the most helping of creatures to each other. I guess the balance in life is hopefully helpful outweigh the, the mean. I think it's important that we try and promote the helpful and the kind and not promote the mean, but often obviously the people to be a mean are trying to find power and money and those are powerful motives. Again, kind of, again, some are saying political, it's, it's kind of going back to COVID. We have to remember that things like coronavirus, I think it can be, it's just, I'm just using this because this is, this is pertinent at the moment cancer, disease, my, yeah, my discs degenerating, they do change our identity. Identities change all the time, I mean, let's face it, well, identities change as we grow up. For most of us, obviously, I, I do know people in their 40s and 50s who have the same mentality as teenagers um, and not necessarily a good way but yes I suppose they have jobs that that so much defines our identity and that is a topic I want to talk about at some point identity labels not an easy topic that might not be that'll be quite a long one I think it may have to be several parts and this is getting this is getting long enough I've, I've, I've all I'm going to do in terms of editing is stick these together I'm not intending to uh, edit out the gaps edit out the ums I'm just too tired at the moment I do not have the energy for that but I wanted to get something out uh, especially now I'm getting kind of getting my physical voice back so actually before I sit before I uh, kind of sort of sign off uh, did I get a recommendation? I, don't, I haven't been given very many recommendations, and it is something I'm going to work on. I've got I've got a couple of ideas actually about recommendations. Maybe not through this particular format, but yesterday I saw a video. One of my favourite channels came across him a few months ago on YouTube. A channel called Bo Miles, an Australian university lecturer. I'm not exactly sure of his 
subject area. Um, but he's a bit of an adventurer. He's 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 a very adventurous uh, journeys, and he he makes videos. He makes lovely videos. They they he is. I would suggest as a a fantastic storyteller. And I would certainly recommend. So go check out uh, Bo Miles on YouTube. His video released yesterday. It doesn't release often, but his video released yesterday was called, I think, uh, A Mile with May. And basically, there's, there's on the, the block of land where he lives, there's a, a walk he can take, which he sometimes runs, which is a mile long. And May's his uh, young daughter, and he put a wheelbarrow and walked around for a day doing this mile and did various things to pick up litter, look after plants that he'd planted and and it's just nice. It's it's really, really nice. It's a bit of making in there. Great storytelling, some great videography. Uh, so if you're kind of into that's something you're interested in doing is generating good stories and good videography it's certainly a prime example of how to do it so yeah check that out uh not be very active on instagram lately as i mentioned i think at the start the first part of this i've had issues with my phone uh i'm having to post via the app on my phone a chrome i can't edit it other than turning it and applying filters. Uh, so pretty much the only thing I've posted in the last six weeks are my daily drawings as part of the project 12365 that Rob uh, Thomas Prickly Source on Instagram has started uh, in November. So we're coming to the end of the third month of that. Uh, another nine months to go and I've done a lot of one-line drawings. I, th I kind of think I've almost become a bit known for it. It's tricky at times. Uh, come up with the idea, coming up with a, an initial sketch can be quite easy, but turning it into one-line drawing, uh, there have been a few times where I've... There's one time I didn't even bother trying, and I just put the drawing up. And there were been a few times where I've taken some quite, for me, good sketches and, and rubbed them out. And, gone for something far simpler, music yesterday. I wanted to do the first few bars of Beethoven's Fifth, yeah, da -da -da just because it's, it's just a nice bit of music, and I just couldn't, could not work out how to do it as a one-line drawing. So in the end, I just put up a crotchet. Anyway, you know where to find me. Bye for now.